TBI Talks Tech. I'm Eric Hills, training manager with TBI, and along with me is Dave Polakowski, operations trainer here at TBI. And today we have another all-TBI podcast for you again, Eric. And today we actually have someone who's on the podcast for, I believe, the first time. Um, it is the regional vice president of sales out west here at TBI. It's Mark Harris. Mark, thanks for joining us. You got it. I'm glad to be here and participating. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and hope to use this as a platform to not only get into some of the content we had planned, but also just to help evangelize your presence out west, Mark. Uh, I know you're an asset to the business. I found you inspirational as some of our sales kickoffs, and that's why I asked you to join. And I'm not calling you a dinosaur, but you've got a (laughs) few more years of experience than I do. Maybe uh, we'll say a little more wise and, you know, I talked to a lot of partners. We've got Drew Robertson on our staff now, who's our sales trainer and mm-hmm. digs into Sandler and Dale Carnegie and all these different sales methodologies. But I'm sure over, over the years, you've seen some shifts as far as sales mentality. And I think on this show, we talk about technology a whole lot, but less often we strip the technology away and talk about ourselves as salespeople and kind of our mentality and what it takes. So talk to us just really briefly about some of the overall changes to, to sales mentality you've seen during your career? Yeah, and great question. Um, you know, I think it's less structured. I, I think you cannot come into either a call, whether it be internal, external, much less a customer-facing appointment, kind of with a predetermined outcome. Um, I, I think you've got to be open and fluid. And with that, have an open-mindedness to asking more questions than you do talking, um, listening more than you are selling, and looking at the broader scope of of the business outcomes that a customer and or a partner is looking to achieve, you know, with their client versus trying to productize what it is that you want to sell and how do you fit, you know, their environment into the bag of tricks that you're trying to sell them or your technology product set. And so I, I think if you come at it by, with, the, with the eyes of a true consultant where you're looking at where they are today, how they've got there, what they're planning to do, and then perhaps even enlightening or igniting you know, the thought of how do they want to scale and where do they see their infrastructure or their business within three to five years, then you can, I think, truly craft something that hopefully is not only meeting, but better yet, exceeding, you know, that customer's expectation. And so if you're able to do that, especially working within the channel community, you're helping that partner elevate their own brand. And I think truly providing that that value-added resource versus just coming in with what you feel comfortable with and what the customer expects, I think you always need to look, I think, a few steps ahead. And by doing that and being open-minded and fluid, I think you're able to kind of accommodate and kind of accelerate not only the sales cycle, but I think the partnership as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you, you as a salesperson almost become part of that service, right? Rather than as a salesperson pushing a product and you know, going for demos and stuff that customers can touch. And we still do demos as far as technology is concerned today. But when when you say listening, you know, asking more questions, like what kind of tips do you have for our partners on stripping away that preconceived agenda and actively listening and formulating questions based on what you're hearing? Because even that's easier said than done. You know, you might come with a list of questions and those questions don't really apply to the conversation. Right. And it kind of goes being preconditioned and predisposed to what you want to talk about. And so I think if you kind of go back to, what is it, those five kind of questions, the who, what, where, why, when, and how um, of, of any dialogue, um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with kind of focusing in on at least a few of those. So when someone says, 
hey, I need, you know, um, 10 sites of bandwidth with some SD-WAN and some UCAS and perhaps some security, the question might be why? What, what's causing this need? And I think then you kind of understand perhaps the business driver. And sometimes those business drivers are also fluid and can change because what the IT director wants versus what the CIO needs versus what the CFO demands, that all could kind of correlate into a bigger picture. And so I think if you constantly focus on both the business driver, the technology driver, and or the business outcome by asking just the how and what and why do you need it and what do you use it for today, where do you see it, this infrastructure or your technology roadmap a few years from now, you can truly put together a solution versus just putting together a couple of product sets that are just you know tied together with duct tape. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I, I think if you just try not to be predisposed to what you believe the conversation entails and be open enough and listen enough and cognizant enough and in tune with what that customer is asking, you can find some hidden gems. And by asking those additional questions, by being a support mechanism for that partner, make both of yourselves look good. And I think differentiate yourself from the competition who might be looking just to save money or just to sell them the latest thing that's on the market today. Yeah. And I think that's that's sound advice, one. And it does answer the question, Mark. Thank you. In your experience, so what prevents partners from asking the why? Like, what holds partners from from making that shift to, you know, hey, I'm selling a box to a more service-based selling model? You know, you make it sound easy. Why doesn't everybody just do it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if it was easy, we all be doing it. Um, so another great question. I would say that it's sometimes where hopes and dreams go to die, Eric, and that is the comfort zone. And so through the years of our development, our education, our training, the experience that we've had, there's a comfort zone that we have whether it be product specific, maybe it's a technology, vertical, geography, you know, specificity of of comfort that you may have. And so you stick to what you know, because heaven forbid you ask a question and you get a response that you're not ready for. Mm -hmm. And the last thing that you want to look like is either ignorant or heaven forbid, uneducated in that realm. And then all of a sudden you kind of devalue the equity that you're bringing to the conversation because you just asked a question, they responded, and now you don't know how to respond in kind. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's probably the biggest deterrent of any sales professional, whether you be on the direct side, much less the channel. And I think if you can educate yourself to a degree and recognize when an opportunity presents itself, you know, have a little uh, one or two lanes of what I call the parachute jump, which is, hey, that's a great question. Here's what I think it is in terms of what you're looking for. But before I, you know, butcher the translation or perhaps speak out of turn, I like to engage you know, my resources to better evaluate what you're asking and hopefully give you the right answer versus what I believe is the right answer. Yeah. And the more often you do that, as long as you're kind of educating yourself in the background, you know, those one or two questions will turn into one or two answers. And then suddenly you'll be seen as that kind of um, that value added resource of technical expertise and you'll, and you'll have to you'll mitigate, I guess, your reliance on the need to constantly reach out to somebody for help, if that makes any sense. It does, yeah. I always used to tell my reps when I was a sales manager, I'd rather have you be confident and wrong and tell someone you go find the answer versus tentative and you think you're explaining it kind of right because tonality and cadence count for a lot. 
Yeah, I would say that at the very worst, you want to be seen as kind of the gatekeeper or the, or the of that prism, right? That your partner and or customer may know that you might not have the answer, but they know for a fact that if you don't have the answer, you have the ability and the connections to get the answer for them. And at the very worst, you, you need to be that kind of particular resource because you don't want to be labeled, cornered, or shackled to a particular product set. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, I had a conversation with a partner as security was really beginning to take an evolution you know, five or six years ago. And I was asking her how she was elevating to have that dialogue. And she said it was very challenging. And she was even referring to her existing customer base, Eric. And I'm like, well, you know, that, to me, that would be the easiest. Say, hey, I want to you know, reach out. And, and now that we've implemented this massive network, I wanted to talk to you about your security roadmap. And the response that she got was, I'm doing that. But when I asked that question, they said, oh, don't worry about it. We have somebody for that. You're my network girl. And because she wasn't ahead of the curve, she wasn't having those monthly or quarterly touch points in kind of sharing the additional solutions that are in our stratosphere, she began to get labeled simply because she didn't take the time to proactively ask. Because if you're not proactively asking, somebody else is, and they're gaining that mind share that will eventually eat into the wallet share that you have. Yeah, and that's kind of that perception of, you know, if you get kind of typecast into that role of, okay, I'm the network person, you know, then it's kind of easy to kind of lose sight of some of the other things you could be potentially offering. Um, So one thing, uh, Mark, I wanted to ask you about, you know, this new move to like subscription-based selling, right? So um, as far as selling service, how has that kind of, you know, this move from the traditional model to kind of like subscription-based, how has that changed really the way we are perceiving and looking at selling? Well, it, it's forcing, I would say, the, the seller, whether it be the partner or, or the direct sales individual, to kind of also stay ahead of the curve. Uh, I think that's where the most profit margin lies. Um, I think the more you move away from access, the more enriched your compensation plan is going to be, hopefully the stickier it's going to be. And it's the evolution and it's happening and it's here now. It's not coming to your point. It's here today. And if you're not at the very least trying to play catch up, much less ahead of the curve or with the curve, you are going to be get left behind. I think at the end of the day, we all wish as a customer, in some cases, <laughs> as channel managers, much less direct salespeople or partners, that we would love to be able to sell a service and if a partner needed something or a customer, it's like the Amazon effect, right? I can go look it up myself mm-hmm. and hit a couple of buttons and I'll have it tomorrow or next week or next month without a lot of human interaction. I think, you know, we uh, need to be more forward thinking that as great as that might be, a customer will always be reliant, I believe, on the help or at least of the direction of a sales professional because they need to understand a little bit more either about what they're ordering, uh, why they particularly need it, and they don't want to get kind of held hostage to buying something and then suddenly have to forklift it again in three years when that term of subscription kind of comes to pass. And so as technology continues to elevate, like you just said, into a subscription-based model, we need to understand the mechanisms behind that, why it's advantageous, but also continue to create I think more of the value that we can provide that, yes, you may be able to go to a website and order it via Amazon, but I can bring other aspects of value to this because it's going to continue to help drive more subscription-based services 
but also additional ancillary services that might not be in that subscription-based model. Right. So it's kind of like, you know, you ask questions to get kind of where you're at, and then that kind of brings up more questions, and that's where the kind of the ancillary kind of things kind of add up there, right? Right. Because if you just, you know, if <laughs> sometimes we get so busy, we wish it were that easy. Right. And that way, our customers can be self-sufficient, our partners can be self-sufficient. But when they're out with a customer, they don't have time to go to a website and plug and play a bunch of numbers. They would rather call you and have you do it. And, and you should be grateful and empathetic for that request because then you can turn around and go, hey, I understand this is what you want. Here's the quote. But have you thought about what they're going to do for connectivity to get to Azure or AWS? What are they doing to secure that? And all of a sudden, it sparks another conversation Mm -hmm. because otherwise the more reliant we get on subscription-based services the less reliant a customer will need a sales professional Mm -hmm. i think that's a good point you know when you're talking about just internet that's what people and partners in my experience want automated you know the easy stuff as you move up the it stack you know it's not like i'm I'm going to order complex mechanical services for my home off of Amazon. You know, I need a, a professional who's licensed and has experience in that area to come in and, and, and advise me. There's just no way to make that easier. And I think SaaS, it started out as, you know, customers locked in for three years. You know, it was, it was headcount plus the cost of licensing. And, you know, that's how you really washed out the total contract value. But today it's moved more toward an ecosystem. And we're still selling Office 365 licenses and UCAS licenses. But today it's it's more consumption-based, I think. And when you think about examples like Netflix, you know, that is a recognizable brand to everyone. They're in our homes. You look at them on paper, it's like eight or 9,000 employees. So that's quote-unquote small, by the enterprise standards, and it's less attractive if you're selling licenses, but it's pretty attractive if you're selling a consumption-based cloud service. Yeah, I mean, you, you made up a good point, and uh, hopefully I'm not kind of jumping off the, the lane here, but if you think it's about like the evolution of Netflix, you're right. Yeah. I mean, if Netflix would not have evolved, they would have gone the way of Blockbuster. And so they understood where the roadmap was going and they jumped on it versus trying to fend it off. And that's why, with exception, I think the original store, there's no other blockbusters around because by the time they realized what was going on, you know, it was too late. And, and even now, it's something as relevant as the Emmys from last night. Netflix, I think, won more awards uh, in terms of yeah. television and film content than the major networks did. They are slowly beginning to kind of take over because now you can watch what you want to watch, when you want to watch it, pay what you want, or leverage it to go to another network to find the same level of content. And so I do believe that you're correct. It's just a matter of even if it is transactional or commoditized in terms of a subscription-based service, you always want to find out other avenues that you can provide more value to do two things. Increase the value of what you're providing to the customer. And as a sales professional, it also helps elevate the stickiness of what you just sold so that hopefully they don't churn when that contract is over. And also, more than likely than not, will increase your compensation mm-hmm. simply because it requires less either man hours or you know what I would call the access effect where you're relying on other manufacturers or, or providers to help you provide that particular service. So it's definitely the way uh, of the future, and we got to stay if not on top of it, at least close behind it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's what I mean. You know, when when you're selling licenses, you know, and that's all you're pushing. There's little incentive for that salesperson to go back versus an ecosystem. Yeah, you sold licensing, but what else? What other ancillary services are going to provide additional value above and beyond what I've already sold you? And and you know, part of that is just genuinely caring on the salesperson side, which is like kind of a, a personality trait. I guess more than anything else, I don't know how you teach people to really care, but I think my biggest message is to partners, clearly identify and articulate your own value proposition. And I I totally agree. It kind of goes back to the question that you asked earlier, you know, why haven't a lot of sales professionals evolved or at least picked up the pace of that education or that evolution? And I talked about the comfort zone. Well, it's also, it's that immediate gratification effect, kind of going back to what we talked about with subscription and Netflix and things of that kind. You want it now, you can get it, you can order it, and it can be there tomorrow. Well, the same applies sometimes to us old sales professionals, because we know on a commoditized, price-driven application, the sales cycle can be condensed not only from a couple of months to a couple of weeks, sometimes even to a couple of days. And to start asking additional questions to uncover other areas of need to provide more value, well, yeah, your two-week sales cycle just expanded into two months and sometimes two quarters. Mm-hmm. But the richness of the value proposition of, that you're providing elevates the richness of your own brand equity in the market that you serve. And I think you've got to be playing the long game versus what I call the short game of that quick hit and that quick payment and that quick gratification because otherwise – you're going to be, you know, chasing all, the almighty dollar and wondering what's going on when you turn around and look three years later and wonder why your account base and revenue uh, is turning yep. as quick as it is. Yeah, and I think when you flip that around and remove that perception of risk, you know, it's not a product or a box that I'm pushing, and it's not something they may try it and they don't like it. You know, a service is an experience, and it's something that they're missing from their business, and that's what you're providing. Yeah, and, and sometimes that, that value proposition in terms of what it sounds like is gonna be heard differently or needs to be presented differently depending upon your audience. It might be the same customer, Eric, but if all of a sudden you're you know speaking with the director of IT, um, you're helping maybe keep his or her job, mm-hmm. right? right. The CIO, he's more concerned about the technology infrastructure and ensuring that both his employees and his customers are all, uh, let's call it protected or in sync or being able to operate more effectively and efficiently. Then, of course, the CIFO is looking at the almighty number. And so you've got to cater what that sounds like in terms of how you position it and then make it good for the greater mass, if you will, of that customer. So what's great for the director of IT is also going to help the CFO's budget, which is also going to help the infrastructure, the security in terms of the concerns of the CIO. And then the CEO is going to get a company that's operating and producing more effectively and efficiently in a timely manner. And now you've just kind of boiled the ocean, so to speak, by asking, like you just said, the right questions and be willing to take the risk of elongating a sales cycle because you know it's going to help that customer and even yourself in the long run. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's kind of the theme. So, um, yeah, partners, anyone listening out there, if you're not already engaging in this, uh, the, the theme of today is you're already a little behind, so get going on this one, right? So, um, yeah, Mark, thanks for joining us. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate you kind of explaining this, this shift that we're seeing um, to this more experience-based sort of thing. Hopefully, we'll have you on again soon for something. Well, I appreciate it, gentlemen, and I know that, that what you're doing hopefully is uh, reaching a, a wide audience, and whether it's me, it's TBI, it's a supplier, 
or a vendor that you're leveraging or thinking about doing or help, even a training that you're getting um, evolve, right? Because the world and technology is, is evolving quicker than we can even catch up. And I think if you do that, you'll always find a place in the market in a vertical in which to serve. So I appreciate your time, guys. Well said, Mark. Appreciate it. So for Eric Hills, I am Dave Polakowski, operations trainer here at TBI. This has been another episode of TBI Talks Tech. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to training at tbicom.com, and we will see you next time.